It's a podcast. It's called Reading Aloud. We're doing a book club today, and this table is full with bright people who read Station Eleven, a novel by Emily St. John Mandel. Mandel, right? By Howie Mandel. Uh, it was a finalist for the National Book Award. Um, and a bold departure for Mr. Mandel. Yes. <laughs> she doesn't blow up um, surgical gloves in this. Um, it's an incredible book, but before we get into the book, let's introduce the panel. Uh, Nelson Franklin is back. Hey, Nelson. Hi. Nelson was here for uh, The Whites as well as uh, 112263. Mm-hmm. Uh, two great books. <laughs> yeah. Is this, uh, is this one just as great? This is a great book. Yeah, absolutely. You've been uh, really good at choosing excellent books here. I think I've gotten lucky. Okay. I don't know if it has any skill. <laughs> But I'm glad that you enjoyed the read. I love it, yeah. Uh, Robin Clark is here. Hey, Robin. Hi there. Uh, Robin was here for The Invaders. Sure was. Not such a good book. <laughs> nope. We tore that fucking thing apart. Susanna Fogel led the charge there. Sure um, did. But I, listen, I supported everything that she said. Um, but that was a really fun book club just because people were very spirited about how that book <laughs> turned them apart. off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, thanks again for reading Station Eleven. My pleasure. Um, Ellie Woods is here. There she is across Hello, from me. Nate. Hi, Thank Ellie. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for being here. What was the book club that you did? God I, Save the Girl? I did God Save the Girl and I did The Love Affairs of Leonard P. Bell. Of Nathaniel P. N- N- yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> really stuck with you. <laughs> really st- Adele Waldman, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that was our second one. That yeah, was that early was a good on. book. Yeah. That was a great book. Yeah. That was really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend this book to a friend or a stranger? I would, and I have to many people already. Uh, you have I thought already. it was very, uh, uh, is diverting a word? Uh, that's a word. Like, delightful and enjoyable. Great. All right, so three, so far, we're going around the table, three people have thumbs up. Will it, Remain. Carrie Kavache Boyle is here. Carrie, this is your first book club here on Reading Aloud. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, I met Carrie through my pals at Skylight Books. Um, she's a learned gal. She's a writer herself, yes? Yes, it's true. Is it true that you spent some time at the Iowa Writers Workshop? That's the very one. Um, do people party there like like? Every night? Every night. Is it just a fucking disaster? What is so amazing, though, is every author who comes through parties with you. Wow. So you just Mm, get to... I took shots with Laurie Moore. Wow. Mm, Nice. What what is Laurie Moore's preference in alcohol? Uh, You know, I can't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Right answer. Good night. Uh, Overall, your feelings on Station Eleven, did you enjoy it? Oh, I think I'm going to be the outlier. There was a lot (gasps) I really liked here, but I got mad at this book. Great. Good. Can't wait to hear it. Good. Uh, John Ross Bowie's here as well. Hello, John. Hey, Nate. Uh, John, this is his third book club, third or fourth book club. Third, yeah. Um, And I'm excited to hear your thoughts as well. Thanks for coming back. What overall? uh, How'd you feel about Station Eleven? Loved it. Uh, This is my actually my second time in a year reading the book. I read it earlier Mm. this year on a friend's recommendation. And then when you called up to book club, I said, I shall read this again. Fucking and A. I'm glad I did. Wow. Um, I don't think I have extra insights because of that, but we'll see. That was my next question. Mm-hmm. Did nope. something? Nope. Fair enough. Second read, 
similar to the first read. Uh, my name is Nick Cordry. This is my uh, 13th book club, I guess, because I host the show. I was really moved by this book. It wanders a bit. Yeah. Um, it sort of disappears and sags, I feel like, at times. But once uh, Clark, who I did not think was going to be my hero of the book, becomes the hero for me, yeah. and we spend a lot of time in this wonderful airport, and the despair and excitement that was described there totally moved me last night as I was sitting by myself <laughs> drinking wine in my house, thinking, who would I call if I only had one more call left while the world ended? Oh, well, I gotta God. say, that, that is the last 50 pages of the book only. You know, the airport stuff, right? No, it's a little... It's like they in jump the middle. Around. They jump around in time a lot. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's true, which I, which I appreciated. Um, I have but, to confess, I was also alone in my living room drinking wine, reading the last pages, <laughs> when I got an email um, saying that you were five pages ahead of me and you're describing yes. how depressing it was. And I thought, oh, well, this is like my favorite part of the book. And then I thought, oh, but what's going to happen in the next five pages? Oh, and it was, shit. It was you so ruined scary it. Fuck. reading those next I'm five so pages. sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did it pay off? Did it get a little spooky and scary? I, yeah, I mean, I really liked that part a lot. Me yeah. too. I liked Clark's like malaise, like with him like just thinking about his past and his future, there's a wonderful passage and there's a lot to read, mm -hmm. I feel like, because there's so much, um, she's very, I, I think her writing is very beautiful. I, I think the story overall is a little like young adult-y kind of stuff. I thought I was reading a young adult novel the whole time. I was kind of like, oh, I should start reading young adult novels again. I felt that same way and that was the only thing that kind of turned me off because I wanted a little more uh, meat. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a little more meat. There were also... Uh, moments where, oh, this paperweight, the thing, the thing, mm. you know, where it's like, yeah, yeah, we, if you follow along, yes, I know this has been introduced before. Like, I felt just a little bit over explained mm -hmm. sometimes. Yes. This connects yeah. back to this. Yeah. Yes, I follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, that, that is, that's even more glaring on a second read. Mm -hmm. It's and the all, little connections and coincidences. Yeah, all the connections that she thought, I think, that she thought she was hiding so well were very obvious to me from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You you knew who the prophet was? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. You did? Yeah. yeah, no, me too, yeah. totally. Yeah. <laughs> now, when did you, I, the first time he said everything happens for a reason, the way that he was described, like, walking up, and then they, I think she says, like, he has this kind of presence that you, you don't know he's there, and all of a sudden you look, and there there he is, which is very sort of spooky, kind of ethereal little weirdo kid. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing he says, the first words that he utters are, everything happens for a reason, or something similar, right? Yeah. Did you not... Did that not tip you off, John? No, that tip when it by that time. Yeah, that's pretty far in. That's yeah. that's pretty far in. You've you've met the kid before, um, and yeah, that's when I started to connect it. But um, uh, uh, when and there are, but the, it's interesting is that there are hints in terms of Arthur's the the prophet is is Arthur's only son, and and Arthur's skill as an actor and skill as a presence and the way he draws eyes at a restaurant Absolutely. echoes in the way the prophet is described. So even before you have any chance to figure out that that's Arthur's kid, there are mm. there are little breadcrumbs yeah. left there to yeah. suggest like this is an incredible genetic charisma the guy has. Yeah, and. And then, obviously, the, the kid ends up out by the plane reading Revelation. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, uh, but the uh, it's um, – it didn't – those little callbacks and call forwards didn't bother me. I, I guess I'm just so pleased by the, the core of optimism in the book mm. and 
the more I think about it, there's a there's a core of optimism in, in all post-apocalyptic literature because right in the name, you know, there's not supposed to be anything after the apocalypse, and yet here we are. We have a genre Post. called post-apocalyptic. Right, right, right. So right. that's that's positive. That's yeah. upbeat, you know. Right. Um, so even like at the at the core of Cormac McCarthy's The Road, the bleakest fucking thing anyone's ever read. Yeah. They're still, you know, they're still trucking along there, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is that only more so. Um, and uh, so, whatever issues I had with like the lags in the story, um, the um, the incredible forced coincidences that occur yes. when there's one percent <laughs> of the population left yeah. um, uh, were eclipsed by just what a, a, a fun, intriguing ride the whole thing was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is absolutely one of those dystopian worlds that I wanted to be a part of. I was reading and I was like, ooh, I hope I survive the flu. All my friends had flus when I was re- had a flu when I was reading this, Oh, shit. Mm. And I was like, oh, God, nobody touch me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is absolutely one of those worlds that I was like, I think I would love to live in this society, this weird kind of makeshift place. So positive. But also one of the things I didn't like about the book, it was such a positive take. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, I wonder why I was so sad last night reading part of this book. I feel like I was really caught up in Clark's reflection Mm -hmm. on his life and how, and I'm, I'm very easily moved. I'm a very nostalgic guy. So any time some sort of charming story of the past comes up, I'm, I'm hooked. And the fact that he did that again and again and again, there's an amazing example that I highlighted on page 222 where he's, he's on the phone talking to uh, the attorney, Heller, I think. Oh, yeah. And Heller's describing to him that Arthur's dead and I'm not sure about this, this other will because he, he was having an affair with the girl at the theater. Right. Um, He was thinking of the first time he'd seen Arthur in an acting studio on Danforth Avenue in Toronto. Arthur at 18, confident despite the fact that for at least the first six months of acting classes, he couldn't act his way out of a paper bag or so the acting instructor had pronounced over... Uh, one night over drinks at a bar staffed exclusively with drag queens, the instructor trying to pick up Clark, Clark offering only token resistance, and beautiful. Arthur was beautiful back then. So the question, obviously, Heller was saying, is whether he intended to leave this girl anything in the will because he emailed me last week about changing the will, said he'd met someone and he wanted to add a beneficiary, and I have to assume that's who he meant. Really what I'm thinking about here is the worst case scenario where there's a shadow will somewhere, some informal document he drew up himself because he wasn't going to see me for a few weeks. That's what I'm trying to get to the bottom of here. You should have seen him, Clark said. I should have seen, I'm sorry, what? Back at the beginning, when he was just starting out, you've you've seen his talent. His talent was obvious, but if you'd seen him before any of the rest of it, all the tabloids and movies and divorces, the fame, all those warping things. I'm sorry, I'm not sure I understand what you're getting at here. He was wonderful, Clark said. Back then, back at the beginning, I was so struck by him. I don't mean romantically. It was nothing like that. Sometimes you just meet someone. He was so kind. That's what I remember most clearly. Kind to everyone he met. This humility about him. What Gary Clark said, I'm going to hang up now. And that passage like broke my heart. Mm. And there's another, there's, he's constantly reminded that he'll never see his husband or boy, boyfriend. Yeah, Robert. Yeah, yeah over, that is just, like there's 10 references to it. And it was just so simple and easy. But I thought, why am I being so moved by this? It just was this repetition of him thinking about loves of his past and knowing that he can never 
touch them again, and yet collecting this museum of things to like, let's remember this, let's honor this. Yeah. And even I, dumb shit like management consultant reports. Yeah. Yeah. And, I and, love how people were so enthused by that. They, yeah. That was such a funny passage. Yeah, that they're yeah. so taken by that. Well, there's another great piece. Um, um, where with Clark, who you're right, becomes the hero of the piece. Starts yeah. off as at best a tertiary character. Yeah. I don't even and know then, what he looks like. And, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, I see him. And then by the end, he's fucking Gandalf. And, and <laughs> the, we get to there's a part where he is. Um, it's a pre-apocalyptic moment where he's uh, meeting with uh, one of the uh, officers of a corporation that he's analyzing as part of his job as a yeah. management consultant. And uh, oh, the woman with the glasses. The woman with the glasses. Oh, yeah, and yeah. talks really cool. about. So good. Um, That's really good. Yeah. Uh, about the people who've ended up in one life instead of another, and they are just so disappointed. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They've done what's expected of them. They want to do something different, but it's impossible now. There's a mortgage, kids, whatever. They're trapped. Dan's like that. You don't think he likes his job then? Correct, she said, but I don't think he even realizes it. You probably encounter people like that, like him all the time, high-functioning sleepwalkers, essentially. So you take that piece, and then you contrast it just a few, maybe a couple dozen pages later with um, – uh, a couple of the scouts from the symphony on the road. Yeah. And they've got a hyper awareness. <laughs> They're taking in every single smell, yes. every little crunch in the woods yeah. is being taken in. And it's the eerie thought that, like, maybe this was the best possible thing that could have happened to us. <laughs> it seems like <laughs> that's a lot the, of that. That yeah, a lot of that, is yeah. reinforced over and over in this, yeah, in this book. with Jeevan at the end there. I don't know how exactly pronounce his name, but, yeah. you know, him living like this great life after being a scumbag paparazzi. It's exactly, great, yeah. yeah. Just, everything is improved for him. Yeah, like, this... this what, drinking wine by the lake with his wife. Yeah, yeah and his yeah. wife and his baby, who's yeah. named after his brother, which is a lovely little yeah. piece of flavoring. I feel like that's the philosophy of this book. That's the tone. This is the story that she's trying to say. That like, <laughs> We've gotten ha- away. Yeah. Hang up your phone. Like We're so connected, but we are not connected, and it's going to take a complete... It's going to take the world ending for <laughs> us to finally like reinvest in relationships and, and awareness and being alive. That's sort of what I took from... The book, basically, that we are, we are, are, all of our heads are so far up our own asses (laughs) that for us to finally truly connect and like feel, it it will take um, a disaster. It'll take our life being broken in half. Yeah. That's cool Um, hearing you say that. I was surprised to hear everybody else say that they found it so positive. I was kind of curious, but actually hearing you say that um, makes me feel, yes, okay, there was some really positive core to it. Mm -hmm. But um, what I think was like one of the best strengths is, um, what great contrast she's able to make. Like, you know, this airport scene that I loved so much. Jesus, is there a place I would rather less spend time <laughs> yes. for, yeah. you know? Exactly. But then it's like this utopia and, um, you know, and I think, oh, yeah, well, if it's less Just out world, on the yeah. runway. <laughs> it's all glass and there's all these, you know, well- you know, lots of signage where the school can be Concourse B or whatever, you know. The tattoo artist um, lives in a jet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like throughout, I think she did such a good job with contrast. And like when you were saying, you know, um, uh, we live in like a more, I don't know, cynical or frivolous time right now. I feel like there's also a really cool opposite contrast going on with the, um, the prophet being someone who is so um, charismatic. Um, he can command a stage. He can have three wives and it is evil 
Whereas just one、mm. generation before, there's this sexy guy who can command the stage and have three wives,、oh, and he's like celebrated. Wow, he's our well best said. Guy,、good. You know? Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That's why、uh, you're here,、uh, Carrie. Right there. Whoa. <laughs> another another like you know rip from the headlines moment was I mean you know we、uh, I don't know if any of you guys have kids. I have two. And、uh, no, so you have kids? No, I thought you had kids. Only headlines.、Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the um, uh, you know they closed the LAUSD school、right. system yesterday, and I had my my kids were suddenly home for a very scary reason. It turned out to be nothing, but、um, in the morning we didn't know that. But we, you know, I was we. Got our shit together, and we walked over to Larchmont. We had bagels, and nobody had their phone, and we just sat and talked to each other. And、uh, oh, I hate to say it, there was something kind of nice about it. You know, it was、sure. like it was the scariest fucking snow day ever for a couple of hours there. <laughs> But、uh, you know, there was something very refreshing about that. And to be reading, finishing up this book for a second time while that was going on mm. was mm. yeah. There was a lot going on yesterday. I, was, I, I didn't have、yeah. your like meltdown, but I had my own shit going on. Yeah, <laughs> meltdown. <laughs>、um, I want to talk a little bit about the significance of the comic、mm. of Station Eleven, and which I found out through、um, through a reader,、um, Jeff. Uh, sent in. He says this reads like a well-edited Stephen King story, which is not the worst thing in the world, <laughs>、um, which I kind of agree <laughs> with.、Um, on、uh, on Reddit, Emily St. John Howie Mandel was talking about <laughs> Station Eleven, and there was a question: With the way Station Eleven ends, will you be planning a sequel for our dear traveling symphony? No, I have no immediate plans for a sequel. I feel that I've said everything I want to say about the end of the world at this point. <laughs> But I've been thinking about writing the comic book script for the Doctor Eleven comics, and I think I'll probably reuse some of the Station Eleven characters in future books, which I thought was very exciting、mm-hmm. to hear.、Um, overall, I had a little bit of trouble exactly figuring out what the significance of the comic was, and. And why Miranda was spending? I mean, I don't. I don't know if Miranda is sort of like a conduit for us, where because she, she's she's an outsider in this Hollywood world and sort of disappears into the world of this comic. And the main, the Doctor Doctor Eleven, I think, is the main character,、mm-hmm. has a dog that is her dog, which she realizes that she's you know all of a sudden she's drawing her own dog. I mean, is she Doctor Eleven? I think at the end when Clark is. Reading the comic and he's remembering the dinner scene.、Uh, yeah, that's when it seemed like she was trying to say that. Yeah, that Miranda is Doctor Eleven because Miranda was the only one not in not in that scene. You know, yeah. When, Do- when Doctor, what am I trying to say? When Doctor Eleven was sitting at the head of the table where Miranda was, I think that yeah, that was her way of saying that. But I didn't. I felt like the. I didn't really see it, though. You know, is it her aspiration of herself or something? I mean, is it? Yeah, I wonder if is it literal? Like, who is the like the undersea people who are <laughs> evil and they're seahorses and they're men riding seahorses?、Uh, I, I don't. What is what? Help me, help me. <laughs> I don't. I don't quite understand. I did. I had trouble with like the literal takeaway of the comic book. Me too. Yeah. As well, what I kind of thought was interesting about about the inclusion of the comic book as a sort of as a running motif was that so what survives at the after the apocalypse? Shakespeare, okay, yeah,、mm-hmm. great. You know, he survived a plague once before. That stands to reason, right? 
And the other thing that seems to survive is this comic book that was made as a completely self-indulgent vanity project. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just like she never intended anybody to see it. Right. This was right. her little pet project that she made, you know, a dozen copies of or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you take those two things, and now they're linked. The comic book and Shakespeare. They're linked now. And they're driving through the uh, wilds of post-apocalyptic America yep. with a Star Trek quote on the side of their van <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that says, because survival itself is insufficient, insufficient or yeah. words to that effect, right? Yeah. So you take those things, and you've got Star Trek, the comic book, and Shakespeare. They're all now linked. And then you look at the fact that my Kindle classifies Station Eleven not in fiction or literature, but in science fiction, in that kind of ghetto of fiction, in that huh. kind of ghetto of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. narrative thing. Yep. And I think there's a core of anti-snobbery running through the book Whoa. in the sense that, like, if we're going to link – you know, we never know what's going to survive, and there's a great deal of value in this comic book, and there's a great deal of value in Shakespeare. Yeah. And, you know, there's a great deal of value here in Station Eleven, which at this very table we've heard described as a young adult book, and that's fine, but does that mean it's not worth reading? Does that mean it's not worth our time? What yeah. is high art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I what's mean, going to survive? We've already right. mentioned the briefs that people are so, you know, that is that. Full, is, filled yeah. with corporate doublespeak, and yeah. they're yeah. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to, I was... Uh, I love that the the book is 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 bookended with the different perspectives of Arthur's death, of Arthur's own experience at the very end of the book, and then through Jeevan's um, experience at the very beginning. I started this book last week, and I had the first page. I had chills. I wrote. I just wrote chills uh, <laughs> in black pen. But I just want to read these first two paragraphs. It, because it starts off beautifully, and I mean literally theatrically. The king stood in a pool of blue light, unmoored. This was Act Four of King Lear, a winter night at the Elgin Theatre in Toronto. Earlier in the evening, three little girls had played a clapping game on stage as the audience entered, childhood versions of Lear's daughters, and now they'd returned as hallucinations in the mad scene. The king stumbled and reached for them as they flitted here and there in the shadows. His name was Arthur Leander. He was 51 years old. Years old and there were flowers in his hair. Dost thou know me? The actor playing Gloucester asked. I remember thine eyes well enough, Arthur said, distracted by the child version of Cordelia. And this was when it happened. There was a change in his face. He stumbled. He reached for a column but misjudged the distance and struck it hard with the side of his hand. Down from the waist they are centaurs, he said, and not only was this the wrong line, but the delivery was wheezy, his voice barely audible. He cradled his hand to his chest like a broken bird. The actor portraying Edgar was watching him closely. It was still possible that moment that Arthur was acting, but in the first row of the orchestra section, a man was rising from his seat. He'd been trained uh, he, he'd been training to be a paramedic. The man's girlfriend tugged at his sleeve, hissed, Jeevan, what are you doing? And Jeevan himself wasn't sure at first. The rose by behind him, murmuring for him to sit, and Nesher was moving toward him. Snow began to fall over the stage. I mean, god damn. <laughs> it's like, she does not, like, slowly kind of wake out of bed and just, like, make her coffee. She's like, let's get in the Lamborghini and fucking race this fucker <laughs> down the road. And and unfortunately for me, it's it slows a bit, and I, I lose the Lamborghini, like, 75 pages in. But once we get back to the... the um, Airport, I feel like we're back on the Lamborghini. Uh, but I thought it was such a beautiful, like, lovely opening. Um, and it made me immediately want to read other things of hers. Without yeah. even reading the book, the first page, I was like, oh, this is, 
she's painting a beautiful picture, and I'm interested in it. I want to read a mystery by her. I think she's a mystery mm. writer, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's her. She's she's written a mystery. One of the uh, one of these. Hmm. Yeah, but she's she's. Um, I feel like the Lola Quartet is a uh, is a mystery novel. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yeah, she's she's of the books you've had us read for the book club. This is this is an author I'd come back to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, was anyone else frustrated that we were in the airport and I was just so fucking loving the airport, and then the chapter change and it was yeah. year fifteen. What? Yeah. What about the uh, other 13? What the f- no, man. I want to stay in this world. I was really disappointed. I was kind of heartbroken. I, I didn't mean, ever mind them going forward. I really didn't like it when they went back. Sorry. What was- yeah, I was going to say, you know, you can tell some there's like some part of me that's like I uh, I want to read like an instruction manual on how to survive after the, you know, the world ends. Yeah. Uh, because she's so smart about creating that civilization in the airport and everything. And I, and when I when I got mad that she left it, I was like, well, th- I mean, I wouldn't even care if it moved the story forward. I just want to know what they did every single day in the airport. So totally. I, like, I let yeah. it go after that because I was like, fine, well, well, that's another book, the airport or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The terminal. Maybe the more compelling version of the terminal. <laughs> yeah. um, I really think that I was, I, I wrote you, Carrie, I was feeling depressed because I was feeling <laughs> the hands like gripping my neck when the people were, when the plane landed. Oh, God. And the slow, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Everyone just had, it's Robin's eyes were very <laughs> wide. Everyone just, oh. It's like the strongest device in the whole thing. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, and she so takes her time. Like, it's not a page. It takes 15 pages before things start to tip. And it's so quiet and subtle, and there's no, there's no mania either there's no like no one like loses their mind and goes run i remember the day after 9-11 i was on a train in new york or like a week later and we were trapped between brooklyn and new york we were stuck and this woman just lost her fucking mind she's like there it's there's another building there's another attack and like people had to calm her down and um god it's like so vivid in my mind this woman's like expression and i love that that didn't happen here that People, you know, they just like ransacked the fucking chi- or the Mexican place and just made a big meal. <laughs> Guy leaves his oh, hammock. Yeah, the real he left hero his hammock. The story. Exactly. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll cover it <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I can use the miles. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on me. He says, he says, chill the fuck out, everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to play him in the movie if that's possible. Yeah. Ever make this Put, it the movie. Put it out there. Put it out there. But I, it just felt suffocating to read the description of the slow disappearance of a world, of but, a society. But there are like, you know, there are like, there's a, there's a rape very early on, and they have to escort oh, a God, guy right. out yeah, yeah. into the woods where they leave him and tell him that he comes back. <sighs> He'll be shot. Yeah, Jesus. And there's the really, <laughs> the one that hit really close to home is the woman who runs around asking if anyone has a fexor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. just, oh What an man. amazing, I mean, and I she felt... starts to go through full-on withdrawal uh, and tries her luck out in the woods. That won't end well. Uh, um, I felt that, I loved that. And I thought that was so clever. And I also found it a little manipulative. And I was like, well, of co- like, how can you not f- like be on this woman's side? It's like when you see like a baby in despair in a movie, I'm like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Don't put a baby in harm's way in a movie. That's too, or an animal. <laughs> like uh, what's the uh, Scarlett Johansson um, under the skin? Oh, yeah. See, like, they, they put an animal at risk there? Yes. There's Well, yes. The, okay. Certainly. And it's a terrible outcome. And I felt so, like, that's too easy. Mm-hmm. Don't drown a dog. Don't, like, put a baby in Is a burning... Is that what burning, she does? 
Yes, she drowns a dog. Well, goddamn it! Spoiler man. alert. Sorry, the, the she also, dog like, dr- eats men alive. It's that's true. Actually, it. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit, this just took a turn. Yeah, well, no, yeah. Was, uh, that, that's something that resonated with me. That the whole theme of like people who needed medicine to sort of like yes. you know, people who just have minor things that would just you get a prescription and you live a full healthy life. Those people are dead now. Yeah, because they have no. But uh, and I had marked a passage um, on page forty six when they're talking about the seventh guitar was nervous because he was nearly blind. As a guy who wears very thick glasses myself, uh, I often think about sort of natural selection and survival <laughs> of the fittest and stuff. And it's like, if I lived before civilization, I would have been dead at like age seven because I can't see anything. Right. Like, I can't see if I don't have a, like, you know, Weak. very technologically advanced pieces of glass on my face that like right. enabled me right. to see. And this guy lost his glasses and he walks Ugh. around blind for the rest of his life. Ugh. It's like, it's, I don't know, that, that struck a chord with me because it's like, how are you supposed to... Uh, you know, I think fend. you, you yeah. clearly would have survived. The <laughs> proof is your entire lineage survived to bring you here today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Uh, right. Generations of weak eyed Franklins <laughs> have led right. us to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Uh, one of the, one of uh, listeners, uh, my listeners, uh, Yelena wrote in. She had a question about that. She was she was sort of um, turned off by the fact she thought it was very easy that just go to a hospital, go to these places, go to, go to an abandoned CVS. I think we're all watching Last Man on Earth, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you think can it's make that it work. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she it, that bro- completely brought her out of the story. Every time they had some sort of frustration on like they needed X, Y, or Z. She was reminded, like, just kick down the door of a grocery store and take some beans. So take some beans, about, man. But it's uh, what 15 about, years and later. And also, like, right. um, you know, if it's if you're uh, contagious, the people on the plane were heroes who like, kept the doors locked. Yeah. If any one of them were contagious and came in, right. there would be yeah. no one left, right? Mm-hmm. So that's right. the whole thing. You can't kick down the door if you touch the door and then you die. You right, know? right. Yeah. And also, these, these there are bodies on top of bodies in these places. And the other thing, what's great about this book that no other thing has dealt with is it deals with expiration. Yeah. It right. fucking deals with, a gas a goes gas. bad after yeah. three yeah. years. Yeah. Fuck you, Mad Max. You don't make any sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well said. I, I, I that, was, that was news to me That was well. total news yeah. to me. And, and with that go antibiotics, which have to be stored in a certain fashion, and, and insulin, and that there's that chilling list very early on in the oh, book yeah. where they, this is what we're gone. This is what's gone. Yeah. Status updates, antibiotics, insulin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't it traffic just mold, jams, though? Couldn't you make it? Isn't it just mold? Oh, yeah, Isn't that the thing? That's a mold? joke. Just make it in a uh, cave. I mean, yeah. couldn't right. you? I'm yeah. sure you could work. try. You got a loaf of bread at home. Go to work. <laughs> exactly. Off you go. All right, fancy pants. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if it came down to it, I certainly would try. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like you would, I feel like, I mean, I understand you not wanting to kick down the door of a CVS because you could be contaminated if you touch the door. After but after, I mean, how long does this right. but I yeah. think pandemic also, last? The issue is also that everything has been scoured and pe- the city has been ransacked right. and it's a total wasteland. And that's what, when they find the untouched house, that's what makes it so great point. So crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that they haven't seen in 15 years is a, a clean, unmarked place. Yeah. And what an amazing description of the parents in the bed and the baby. And the, oh, my God. Oh, man, is that yeah. fucking terrifying? And then when she brings it back where she's like, well, why aren't they all in the same bed? Yes. Oh, the parents died first. Uh, and you're like, oh, uh, right. Jesus. Drink more wine, more wine, more wine. I think that might have been the exact moment that I emailed you. Oh, so much wine. Uh, you know what I actually really didn't understand is the moment when they find the house with the tea set. Right, right. And there's like a ghost. Oh, yeah, presence. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and well, it was uh, kind of the first paranormal mention in the Well, in the August. Book. First and kind of only, really. Yeah. yeah. Aside from all the coincidences. Yeah. 
Was it August <laughs> that suggested that? Like, why is there no dust? And, and she didn't believe it? Kirsten? Charlie was the one looking at the, the set, right? Before oh, yeah, Charlie, yeah. yeah. We haven't even mentioned Kirsten and how fucking... Oh, she's a badass. Oh, yeah. Bad yeah. ass yeah. she is. Um, I love that she's missing a tooth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Or a yeah. You yeah. find out later. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. You got a total her. vision for about 150 pages. Like, oh, by the way, she's lost yeah. a couple of teeth because yeah. of course she has. <laughs> <laughs> and it completely yeah. derails. Like, oh, I got to recast this role now. Okay. <laughs> who 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 did you cast originally before? I don't. I didn't have an actor in, in in mind, but um, you know, she looked a little more glammy, Walking Dead, where sure. everyone's still getting Botox after the apocalypse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will admit that I fell into some what television has taught me to think about the end of the world. It's hard not to. I mean, yeah. and also, I I feel like I I had I was a little bit lucky because I don't watch that show. Yeah. I watched the first season and it just wasn't for me, so I don't have. Um, apocalyptic scenarios like running through my brain all the time because I just don't watch that. And I don't watch uh, Last Man Standing as well. So I feel like my brain was sort of empty, so it was just filled by what um, the author had written. But I did think it was kind of great not to have... I mean, there is a monster... The flu is the monster, mm-hmm. and the um, and the prophet is the monster, but there wasn't... They weren't fighting against anything. They were just fighting against their circumstances as opposed to a pack of weird, you know, zombie wolves or something ridiculous. I like that there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a, there was a bad guy, but it wasn't like us versus them. They just had to stand to figure out how to survive. Well, really it's, it's them versus everybody until proven, you know, until proven innocent. Mm. That's what's scary about that world to me is that you can't trust anyone until, until, you know, you make friends with them. Yeah. I, I forget what happened with the one guy that shows up at the airport. Oh God, he showed up at the airport and they have like scouts and they blow whistles or something and he shows up. And he's a teacher. Oh, I forget, but I oh, love that he's they. He's crying because he yeah. thinks he's the only one left. Yes, yes, right. yes. That was one of the, the airport hotels. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. He was he was there for like two years, <laughs> and the only reason and he left because he had to because he thought he was going to go crazy because he hadn't talked to anyone <laughs> yeah. in two years. I mean. It's a fun world to inhabit, yes? And, and Clark realizes, like, he hears it in his voice. Like, that guy hasn't spoken in two years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah He yeah, hears yeah. it in, his, in the guy's voice, which oh, is a God. great way to let us know. Right. Yeah. We're going to take the briefest of breaks. We'll come back and we'll finish up and uh, give sort of our overall take of Station Eleven. Uh, you're listening to Reading Aloud. Hey, it's Reading Aloud. You've been listening to a book club uh, regarding Station Eleven, which was a National Book Award finalist. It lost to... Uh, Adam Johnson, Adam Johnson's Fortune Smiles, I think, won this year, which is a collection of short stories. Um, and I want to go around the room and get sort of everyone's overall takeaway from Station Eleven and uh, whether or not it will stay with them and if they would purchase it for a holiday gift for a, a family member or a loved one. Mm. Uh, John Ross Bowie, you can go first. I would purchase it. And, who would um, you get for who? For who? That's a good question. You know, I think my mom might enjoy it. I think it would it would appeal to uh, uh, a lot of the things that I like about her. She got me into theater when I was very young, mm. and she made sure that I saw it, even though you know it meant like standing online at TKTS in in you know all kinds of weather. But she right. made sure we got like discount tickets to see theater, and that was very important to her. And I think she'd like the idea that. It kept going after a massive flu take, took everybody out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I just feel like I, I have to say, like the the official news that she is not interested in writing a sequel 
or an extension yeah. or a middle quill where we find out about those mystery 15 years where yes. shit was really bad, oh, where there's a bad, wonderful sly joke about oh, the South was filled with guns. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. well, I could have told you. Or the year that Kirsten always forgets. Yeah, yeah there's a whole year yeah, that Kirsten doesn't even talk year. about yeah. that she, her memory goes from like being on stage to like just up and running in the apocalypse <laughs> a couple years later. With that's, loose teeth. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> um, that's really chilling. So it does break my heart that we'll never see the world expanded because honest to God, I'd follow Arthur to his childhood on that weird little island. Fuck yeah. yeah. I would follow, um, I'm interested in the person who, this is so nerdy, but I'm interested in the person who decided that three young versions of the daughters should be on stage for King Lear. There's a note that's about a, that. Totally. That's a bold directorial choice. Totally. And I think that's cool. Is it based on an actual it's production? It's an actual production, yeah. No shit. It was at the Public Theater in New York. She matches it. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. It, yeah. Who was the director? Cromer? Okay, hold on. How, like who was Lear, Watterson? Oh, here it is. Uh, oh, shit. The, uh, the Toronto staging of King Lear described in the book is partially based on James Lapine's, oh. Lapine's exquisite 2007 production of the play at the Public Theater in New York City in that uh, Lapine's production featured the unusual addition of the three little girls who oh. performed non-speaking parts as child versions of Lear's daughters. Wow. Well, there we go. Well, um, I can find out about that online then. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really... Um, uh, it's a book for someone who loves the theater, for it's sure. It's a book for somebody... It's a, it's a real theater nerd's book. It's yeah. a real theater nerd's book, and I, I'd give it to uh, uh, anybody in that world. I feel like you said before we started, or maybe you said this on while we were recording, but you wanted to own... You read it on your Kindle... Or your iPad, but you want you want a tangible copy of it. Well, yeah, especially now after we've, what we've all talked about, you know, it's, it feels one feels almost guilty reading this thing on a screen. <laughs> you know, like a lot of fucking good. This will be when the grid goes down. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not a great feeling to read yeah. this on a screen. You feel like it's it's. And I had, and, then, and then my phone di- and then this died and I had to read it on my fucking phone. Holy <laughs> shit! I had to read it on my fucking phone. You're an for a animal. While. I'm an animal. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> I love how baffled people were by like, where is the internet? Yeah, yeah, where yeah, is yeah. it? Where's it's the in the internet? air. Yeah, there's that wonderful moment where two people are uh, want are discussing the tweet they would send about yeah. seeing yeah. Arthur Lee Anderson's wife. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. That's so great. So great. <laughs> um, I had that same feeling. I read. Um, Stoner, that John Williams book. Have you read that, Carrie? I actually haven't. Oh, but you guys know about this book? Mm-hmm. It's considered like the greatest, the greatest American novel that no one's ever read. Mm. It was written in the fifties, and it's it's just stunning. But I, I read it on my Kindle, and I wa- I have to go out and buy a hard copy because the book moved me so much. Yeah, um, Carrie, what's your overall takeaway from Station Eleven? Um, I would recommend it to people who love Margaret Atwood. Oh yeah, um, it's sure. like it's a yeah. perfect Margaret Atwood kind dystopian, of dystopian, yeah. but really smart. And Canada, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah it was sure. like perfect. I was in a Margaret Atwood book. That's um, excellent. Yeah, that's I will a- say though, ultimately, I got kind of mad at this book, especially at the end. Um, we talked a little bit about the. Uh, you know, the comic book and you're following this and there's this prophet who is the only other living human who knows the lore from this very specific family story written by his dad's first wife. And then the only other person on earth is our our girl. <laughs> and yeah. she has read this book and she knows the quotes. And then she comes face to face with the prophet. And oh. I think I know what really happens. Oh, not what happens in the book. Yeah. Um, I think like, many actresses before her, she falls for the leading man and they rise up together but then maybe like on their wedding night she realizes he's terrible and she knifes him in the heart and you know, you gotta like bring me something more where Mm. um, there's a reason for all of these coincidences. Why do they both know this lore? Why? 
oh, I don't know. It's just like some guy on the side takes care of it. Like it doesn't even happen between the two main characters. No, yeah. Why is he a bad prophet? How does he twist this tale that yeah. we've now put all of this time into thinking, okay, well, who, who, you know, I don't know, who's the seahorse and what does that mean? The underworld or whatever, you know? But it none of that just forgotten um, imaginative effort that yeah that I put in mm. while I was while I was there um, it doesn't pay off exactly though of course I wrote my own ending it paid off in my imagination but I love you your know, idea because it would tack it. 150 <laughs> pages onto a book More. I enjoy so. yeah. <laughs> and um, so I guess I feel like also I mean in a certain way I know it's like a writer's writer type of opinion but um, in writing there's even like a shorthand what's in the backpack and basically it means like be careful about. Um, what details you ask the reader to hold on to, right? You're, the, the book, the story, it's a long walk with the reader, and you don't want to weigh down their backpack with, like, for instance, there's literally a backpack with literally a paperweight that we have described, and I'm like, the paperweight. Yeah, oh, exactly. the paperweight is in the backpack. The this, paperweight, the paperweight. She's going to show it to the prophet. Right. And, you know, whatever. I had so many ideas that she was giving me and planting very carefully, mm. and she asked me to keep track of so many elements mm. in the story that I enjoyed keeping track of, and I really enjoyed the read. But ultimately, like, I felt so let down by um, the quickness of the end um, mm -hmm. that ultimately I felt actually, like, angry because Mad. I liked a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So so that's a, a long-winded way of saying it's certainly a good read for a lot of people. And if you love Margaret Atwood, you'll probably love it, too. <laughs> Ellie Woods. Um, I Well, I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was a great uh, fun kind of read, like the kind of thing you want to read in front of a fire and just really enjoy. Uh, but... I had an issue with the end too, just because of how quickly it, it wrapped up. Also, the whole, like, I think she's trying to create this tension. You're supposed to fear this prophet, and I really yeah. didn't fear him at all because yeah. I thought the narrator was so, or Kristen, Kirsten, was so reliable. I trusted her, I knew that <laughs> she could take him. Um, and but she doesn't. That gives so frustrating. Right? No, I knew and that I'm too. also mad that <laughs> she didn't say anything about the comp. You know, she yeah. quoted it, but why didn't she just talk to him? I guess, you know, we're not all communicators. But uh, <laughs> I, also, I also thought it was interesting that these two kids are seemingly both kind of like Arthur Leander's children. Kirsten is the girl that got to be around him, and his son is the kid that was you know halfway across the world and they're both left in this world and only she lives and I just yeah I thought it, it ended so quickly and I was like why, why doesn't she meet Javon why yeah. don't we get to see her going to the other world why it just it wrapped up yeah. in the last 30 pages or something yeah made me angry I was, yeah. I was frustrated too that all of a sudden Jeevan or Jivan has a wife and a baby yeah. And we have we know nothing about them. It just yeah. sort of dropped, and, and then he was at you know by the by the lake with his wife. It's like, wait, well, how? What? Mm -hmm. You've invested a lot of time in this gentleman and his ups and downs, and him, like you said, being a jerk off, paparazzo, and then like f becoming something different and trying to change. And it, then she just sort of scatters these enormous moments of his life so casually. It's like, well, I, God, I, I spent a lot of time uh, with this gentleman, and all of a sudden, yeah. like, are we, are, we, are we not supposed to care that much? I almost didn't. Because you're being frivolous with it. I almost didn't understand why he was still alive at the end. Like, yeah. he, uh, sure, to create a new society, sure, because he's the paramedic, but we don't, that doesn't ever pay off for me. Yeah. Just her seeing the lights wasn't enough for me. No, yeah, totally. That was a little bit of a disappointment to me also because um, in that great first chapter, 
I thought, oh, there is something happening that I know as a reader that the characters don't know. Mm-hmm. He just gave mouth to mouth with a guy who's got the plague, you right. know? Right. And I thought it was just like beautifully done that we just know, okay, he is able to survive, but he is a carrier or whatever. Um, and then it was, um, I felt like it uh, pulled tension away to be like, no, actually, it was just a heart attack. Was it? Is that what, what happened? Yeah. He actually I'm didn't a, have it. He yeah, took it just a heart attack. It, it, it is strange. It is very, the whole Arthur of it all, like, why kill this guy of something else right before everyone else dies anyway? So, like, what death means now, what it would mean. Right. I think that's yeah, the idea. Yeah. I think that's what we're supposed that's to take away is, like, what, what, this is the impact of what one death feels like one death from quote unquote natural causes. Now imagine that writ large yeah. to a factor of yeah. 99, whatever. Yeah. Clark has that realization when he finds the newspaper and, and reads, it's like one of the last newspapers and he's reading the obituary of his friend. And he says how strange it is that he the day before everyone died, he died. And so I feel like yeah. they covered a little bit, yeah. but it is sort of all over the place. Robin Clark. Uh, I really enjoyed this book. It captured my imagination immediately. I felt hmm completely in the world. Um, I did vacillate between what you said about you've dropped all these wonderful breadcrumbs to what end, but I also, listening to you articulate that, I feel like it's just a reflection of life where, like, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of passages about, uh, you know, when Frank— this woman made this thing that made the gun that made the thing and then about the snow globe traveling. Like, yeah. it's just, there are all these little things going on that we don't know anything about and mm-hmm. there are connections that we're unaware of and that's just how it is. Mm. Or with f- people that we invest in, I this is, I go off Facebook for large portions of time just to reclaim my sanity. Yeah. And it's fun to know so much about someone's life and then come back seven months later and, oh, you live across the world now and this is happening I don't know any of the stuff in the middle mm. but that's okay I don't know mm. exciting yeah yeah <laughs> um, one thing that stuck with me and I was thinking about a lot on the way here was the uh, I, I prefer you with the crown mm. oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> let's talk about my neuroses for a minute as <laughs> an actor I feel like that's like that's the saddest thing that someone can say oh, yeah. where like yeah, you prefer this fake image I put on to who I actually like. As soon as she said mm. it, I went, "Well, their relationship was doomed because she prefers this idea of him." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how kind of heartbreaking that is for both of them. Yeah. And then, like, he's so trapped in his fame. Yeah. Well, then, when he has his buddy come and he's yeah. like trying to bring the charisma, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, he's just performing because so he, right. be with he me. thinks people yeah. prefer him with the crown." Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. a heartbreaking scene. Yeah, totally. I forgot about that moment. That's a great. Thanks for pointing that one out. Nelson Franklin. Yeah, I was pretty much uh, 99% on board with it. The one time, I know we were mentioned that sometimes it sort of felt like a young adult sort of vibe. And mm-hmm. I and I remember I, I highlighted a passage here where this sort of took me out of the book for the only the only time it happened to me on page 101. Um, you know, she sort of realizes that, uh, Miranda sort of realizes that Arthur is having an affair with uh, Elizabeth. Yeah. And she looks to the dog and says, uh, whispers to the dog, this life was never ours. We were only ever borrowing it. And yeah. I was like, it got a pretty heavy eye roll from me. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't love her whole Hollywood is such a tough thing to deal with and be a part of and stuff. And it's because the whole book sort of is connected to Arthur. He's the sort of uh, central character that everyone else has. The prophet. He's the prophet of yeah. the beginning. Yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's the, the God whose only begotten son is the prophet. <laughs> right, right. So I just kept thinking like, are, are we all victims of 
this like celebrity culture or whatever. What's the what is the sort of message there? But right. I, I just didn't. I, I, that's the only downside for me for this book because I really enjoyed how much thought she put into what would happen and how the world works and how people behave and what would go down first and you know blah blah. blah. It was all so good. I just didn't love the. I mean, maybe I'm biased because we live here in Hollywood and we work in show business. Right, but, probably. You know, <laughs> I don't know. And maybe we're fucking killing it. Yeah, I know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> as as a room full of Arthur's, I'm a, I take offense to. <laughs> uh, John Byer, where can people find you um, on you know, on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, and where can I'm people? I'm on the Twitter and the Instagram, just with the uh, the name, just no spaces. John Ross Bowie. Okay, Carrie, where can people find you online? I work at Skylight Books in the flesh every Saturday. Come by and I'll give you a book. Yes. Yay. You'll give me a book <laughs> for free. <laughs> I'll give you a okay. Stack <laughs> Ellie, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, Ellie Woods DDS, and I'm not a dentist. I was going to ask. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a little fun thing. Gotcha. You know. Robin Clark, where can people find you? Uh, I'm also on Twitter and the Instagrams at Red Red Robin R O B Y N. And Nelson, just Nelson Franklin on Twitter. Uh, I'm Nate Cordry. You can follow the show at Reading Aloud Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at I'm Nate Cordry. Uh, a little teaser for next week's episode. I uh, it's going to air on Christmas Day. So my Christmas gift to you. I had some really talented actors come down to the UCB and read some holiday themed essays that were great fun. And this is an excerpt from one of them. I just want to play you just a little teaser. Um, the great Seth Morris as Bob Duca reading his uh, Christmas list. My name is Bob Duca. You're for, you'll forgive me, I'm sure, for not wearing shoe, shoes, but in a comic series of events, I accidentally stepped into two separate jars of honey, <laughs> two separate trays of birdseed, and then was attacked by a murder of crows. <laughs> if you'll indulge me, I'd like to read for you my Christmas list. Sack garters, <laughs> underpants, ice packs, veterinarian grade ear and nose hair trimmer, six by eight foot LL Bean dog bed, <laughs> Newman's own hug butter, futon mounted urine jar, industrial grade pill crusher. Wicker scrub, extremely high fiber brand muffins, nine ply toilet paper. All right, we're going to stop it there. To, to, to hear the rest of it, you're going to have to tune in next week. Also, the week after, um, the, the show is uh, dropping on a lot of holidays. New Year's Day will be my interview with Gloria Steinem. I chatted Ooh. with her yesterday. It was a fucking thrill. Wow. And, uh, and it was just great so that'll drop on the 1st of January so stay tuned for that um, my name is Nate Cordry you've been listening to Reading Aloud big thanks to everyone here for Reading Station 11 and come in and share your thoughts and big thanks to Sam who's producing the show right now and had to organize six microphones a plug-in computer and you don't even have a microphone yourself to respond nope yeah, but you- <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week with more Reading Aloud Pop. Pop? Pop. <laughs>
This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.